Welcome to the Solution Focus Toolkit podcast. In the podcast and in our training, we specialize in solution-focused working. That is people like you, whether you're in social care, youth work, or any kind of people business. Now, that's most people, to be honest. We all have to interact with clients, colleagues, suppliers. But what we don't do is train you to be a therapist. We train you to not not be a therapist to use the solution-focused approach in your practice to make people's lives and interactions with you better. And in order to do that, we often delve into the dark, mysterious world of the therapist room and in whatever form that takes. And I've been there uh, kind of many, many times myself. As as you know, in the training itself, in the Solution Focus Toolkit, we break down this model, break it into its component parts, put it back together in a way that works for you within your particular working practice. So what I want to talk to you about today is something I talk a lot about in our training, which is the reason that this particular image is a fallacy. That is the reason that you can sit down with someone who can cure you, offer a solution to your problem. It doesn't exist and it hasn't existed for decades if it ever did. And that's why I want to talk about the big four and how they support the solution-focused approach, and more importantly, how they combine with other research. Okay, so really today's podcast is mainly about the big four, but also I want to kind of strip something away that feels really uncomfortable, that when I've been in rooms and done things with solution-focused therapy that have felt miraculous, Whenever any of us as professional therapists have done that, the biggest key component in that success was the client themselves. And that's not nice to hear. Unless, of course, you're a solution-focused therapist um, because we call it not leaving any footprints. We almost allow the client, we do allow the client to completely take control. Now, I want to talk to you about a little book called The Heart and Soul of Change, What Works in Therapy. It's an old book by Hubble, Duncan and Miller, or it was certainly edited by Hubble, Duncan and Miller. They took uh, 24 contributors, 14 papers, looking at studies based around um, therapeutic outcomes, good therapeutic outcomes. So let me just read you this quote. Please bear with me. Our thesis in this chapter and this is, this is uh, from the book, is that the client's capacity for self-healing is the most potent common factor in psychotherapy. It is the engine that makes therapy work. Therapy facilitates natural occurring healing aspects of clients' lives. Therapists function as support systems and resource providers. This view contrasts sharply with most of the literature on psychotherapy. There... The therapist is the hero who, with potent techniques and procedures, intervenes in clients' lives and fixes their malfunctioning machinery. Something I've said time and time again is simply not the case. I I have said this over and over again, that the biggest part um, in any solution when working with troubled clients is the client themselves. And... 
I'm stunned that anyone can have the audacity to claim to be able to fix you, to know the underlying answers to your life's problems. Whether they've got degrees, studies, doctorates, when we come up against an approach or your clients come up against an approach that claims to be able to prescribe a, a, a reason and a logical prescription to what's wrong with them, um, there is a resistance consciously or unconsciously in, in some shape or form. And the reason is it's clashing with our thought processes because the person in the therapist chair has no possible way of interpreting your world. They've never lived it. So let me give you an example. And this is really uncomfortable for someone who's done what I've done for many, many years, you know, to realize that out of all the work, it was the client that was the key factor in success. So I'll give you an example. And let's assume that you have some idea of how the solution-focused approach works. And forgive me because this, this was in a counseling room, but the principle is the same. It doesn't matter. It still works the same in your working practice, okay? So I had a guy come to me with his wife and daughter, okay? I got the impression he was a fairly strict guy, but he was naturally worried about his daughter. She was starting to grow up a little bit. She was starting to stay out later. She was hanging around with lads and stuff. And the knock-on effect of that was maybe getting up late for school, okay? So any kind of answer offering or prescriptive style and I had quite a bit of detail of their lives and what was going on. Maybe I could have provided an answer. You know, maybe it was the parenting style was a little bit strict. She wasn't a terribly badly behaved person. Maybe it was her behavior that needed to change. Maybe the family weren't showing enough love. But if you've got doctorates or, or degrees, you might be able to make a judgment to kind of cure this situation, to make things better for the family. I'm not. Uh, I'm a solution-focused therapist, um, and I don't have a solution, but the client does. And also, in my working model, I don't really care about the solution or what it is. Now, that can be a little bit controversial sometimes, but uh, I often say that it's not your problem, okay? It is not my problem when I sat there with this family. So I didn't prescribe for them a solution. So what would I do? Well, I went through this solution-focused process. I asked them the miracle question. And as you know, the miracle question asks about an imagined future. So I asked the dad about, you know, what if this problem went away and things were different, da-da-da. And so his eyes went up to the right and he started to talk. And he said, oh, well, tomorrow I'd probably get up in the morning and my daughter would come downstairs and she'd give me a hug and she'd say, I love you, Daddy, good morning. She would eat a breakfast, get ready for school. She would put the bowl in the sink and say goodbye. She'd be happy, she'd be smiling. And whilst he was doing this, he was pretty gone. He was in a kind of trance-like state. And I was looking at him and I was looking, I kept quiet. I just let him talk, let him talk till he completely you know, talks me through the whole situation in detail. And I saw his wife and daughter looking at him absolutely stunned. The, the, literally, the jaws were a gasp. Now, that solution was so small that I could never have come up with that 
as an idea of what this guy really wanted. And I've seen this many, many times in solution-focused therapy. He just, the, the solution was so simple for him. And it really showed, I couldn't have sat there and said that. I could never have provided that solution. These words came from his lips and the power was immense. And of course, it was a massively successful um, few sessions that we had. There's no way I could have done that. And as Steve DeShazer says, the most complex of problems don't always require complex solutions. And this was a really good example of that. And there are many others. And incidentally, they did involve numerous and serious mental health issues sometimes, just working within the client's frame of reference. So before I discuss the big four, or what we call the big four, let me explain two sets of work that I think really kind of clasp together for me in this kind of light bulb moment. The first is that study after study has shown that the therapist plays a relatively minor role in the solution. It's the client who is key in this process. Now, this sits uncomfortable with therapists who've spent many years on their craft. Now, the second is solution-focused therapy itself. It wasn't invented by Steve DeShazer and Imsu Kingberg. It was assembled by them, okay? They studied successful therapists and they discovered the key components. They then assembled them into a working model for others to use. So why were we surprised in light of that first set of studies to discover that it was those who facilitated the client's own solutions who had the greatest success? So take each of these two ideas, you know, the one that proves in studies that the client is the biggest player and the one that allows them to do that. Put one in each hand and clasp your hands together and you will <laughs> feel my light bulb moment. Clearly, one facilitates the other. So even though we're looking at studies in therapy, it starts to come to light how immensely powerful this information is and the model is for you. It's tremendously empowering as a social worker, youth worker, residential worker with troubled clients to know and believe that if there are answers to this mixed up life, those everyday struggles, the teenage angst, most of these answers lie with the client and it's really not your problem. And that's why we train you to be the curious inquisitor. Now, the point is that we work within the client's framework and we don't know what that framework is. We have to be curious about it to find out. So, Let's talk about you as a professional and the key principles we teach. And some of these can be counterintuitive. You know, that's why we talk about in other areas of the podcast and in the training. You don't need problems and you don't need to look for problems to be a solution focused worker. When problems appear, you don't need to solve them. They're not your problems. You are just a facilitator. And of course, the biggest participate in any change is your client. So bear that in mind when I run through what are the big four factors in therapy. And these percentages shift a little bit, but you'll see that not many of them are actually in the therapist's hands. And bear, that, bear in mind as I go through these big four 
how they apply to you. We've got a PDF that gives a lot more detail about how they apply to you in your uh, working role, dependent on what your working role is. You can sign up for the, um, the free PDFs and you will get that. So imagining um, the way that this studies break down is imagine 100% positive outcome. Okay, so we're going to break down how that came about. So extra therapeutic factors account for 40% of the outcome. That is, this refers to what a client brings to therapy in terms of their personal and social supports. Bearing in mind, this could actually be you if you're a residential worker, etc. It depends on the duration of their complaint, the circumstances in which they live and any other kind of fortuitous events that kind of weave in and out of their lives. That's 40%. Still no mention of the therapist yet. The next 30% is relationships. Now, this refers to the client-therapist relationship and the quality of the working alliance and any relationship or working alliance has to be developed quickly in therapy. Again, massive advantage to you as a worker. You already have a relationship and have built up trust with this client. So that could be tremendously empowering for you as a social worker, youth worker, etc. 15% is expectancy, hope, and placebo. Now, uh, it seems that clients are served best when therapists are future-orientated and assist them to believe in the possibility of change. Now, if you've done any work or study or trained with us, that, in a nutshell, probably describes solution-focused approach. The clients are served best when therapists are future-orientated and assist them to believe in the possibility of change. Finally, 15%. This is model and technique, and it's important so much as it provides practitioners with structure and focus, which will act as a vehicle for enhancing the effects of other common factors. Bear in mind, it doesn't say the solution-focused model and technique. It says any technique. And again, that highlights the immense power of, as a team, and the teams that we work with, what we do with them is we um, we give them a core model to work with. And it is it becomes a standard response across the team, a solution focused approach. And uh, it, it's wonderful to see that a whole team now are going to approach with a model. But it doesn't necessarily suggest the solution focused model, but to have a model and structure to work with really really important so there you go um not great news in this week's podcast if you happen to be a therapist it's something that um has been out there for many many decades really and something that isn't great news as a therapist but it's it's immensely great news if you imagine being in the position most of our clients are in our clients are working with people. So our clients are social workers. Our clients are uh, youth workers, youth teams, all those kinds of things. So this is immensely powerful news that we, we, we tell them about. You know, you have not and do not need the degrees and the doctorates and all those kinds of things because the biggest player is, in fact, your client. So, um, yeah, there we go. That's it. Uh, for this week and um, don't forget you can sign up for the ongoing pdf series we call them desk droppers there will be somewhere to click around here somewhere if not you can always head over to 
um, theactionfactory.com and get your copy there and sign up there. Um, we call them desk droppers, a bit like a mic drop, but, <laughs> but you drop it on a manager's desk or a colleague's desk. Just great free information for you as a professional and uh, a new series coming along soon with all the podcast notes. So that's it for this week. Thanks for being there. Another great uh, Monday morning. Remember, you have got the greatest job in the world. You are working with people. You are helping improve their lives. Um, thanks for being there. Next week, we will talk about assumptions when working with clients. Um, some are in the clinical practice of solution-focused practice, as, uh, as in the textbook. Some are of my own, and some are stolen from other um, other models so you can take them as I always say when you do our training it may be a little bit like tearing pages out of a magazine at the dentist <laughs> you can take them all or you can take one or two um, but these can be applied across the board with your clients thanks for joining me this week we'll be back next Monday morning have a great week talk soon